This podcast includes frank discussions of mature themes that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is intended to provide encouragement and support through personal storytelling. The views expressed are the opinions of the participants and not intended to be medical, legal, clinical, or professional information or advice of any kind. Welcome to the Bubble Hour. 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 Welcome, 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 welcome to the Bubble Hour. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from the power. Weakness head on me. Jean McCarthy, and you're listening to The Bubble Hour. Hello, and welcome to The Bubble Hour Archives, a treasure trove of episodes ranging from 2012 to 2022. I'm recovery advocate and author Jean McCarthy. I joined The Bubble Hour as a host in season two. Together with other hosts over the years, Ellie, Lisa, Amanda, and Catherine, we all extend to you our gratitude for listening and a heartfelt wish that this podcast will find a welcome home in your recovery toolkit. The resources mentioned on the show are available at thebubblehour.com, including information on the online support group called the BFB, or Booze Free Brigade, often mentioned on the show. Now, if you're hearing this message, you're listening to one of our free archived episodes, and we'll make sure that there are loads of these available for you to enjoy. These are partial versions of the original recordings, and if you want to hear more, you can listen to full versions and the entire back catalog ad-free by joining us on Patreon. So just head to patreon.com slash thebubblehour to learn more. I'll also put a link in the show notes to make it even easier for you to find that. So, all right then, enjoy the show. Hello, this is Ellie, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real women tell real stories of addiction and recovery and offer real hope. Tonight's show is going to be all about rehab, and we have several guests that are to be on that will share their own experience with rehab, and as well as my co-host, Lisa. And I would also like to introduce a new co-host to the Bubble Hour. Some of you may have heard her answering phone for us, and we're thrilled that she's going to co-host with me today. And so I'd like to introduce you to Amanda as well. Welcome, guys. Thanks, Ellie. Yeah. So tonight we're going to talk about rehab, and I think what we'll do, I'll share a little bit of my rehab experience, and then Amanda will share a little, and then we're going to go to our four guests. But before we start the show, we just really want to offer the caveat that we are not licensed addiction counselors or mental health professionals or medical professionals, and that what we're sharing with you today is really our own experience and some of the things that we've learned collectively in recovery. But as always, if you have any doubts or questions about your drinking or whether or not you need to go to rehab, it's always best to consult a medical professional first. We just thought this would be a helpful discussion because a lot of people hear the word rehab and it sounds like a scary, dirty word. And we know from our collective experiences that it actually can be a place of great healing and certainly helps to save lives. So... I will briefly talk about my own rehab experience. I've actually been to several different types of rehabs. At the very end of my drinking, my family staged an intervention, and I very unwillingly agreed to go to an outpatient program. We're going to 
talk a little bit more about the definitions of these programs in a minute. But an outpatient program is where you go during the day, all day, for a couple of weeks. And I really went unwillingly, and it was not something that I was doing for myself. I was doing to get everybody off my back. And so that program was, was really very unsuccessful for me. And I figured out that they were not testing me for alcohol use and was drinking through that program for the full 10 days that I was in it. And so clearly that did not work for me. And a few weeks after that program completed, my drinking actually got exponentially worse because everybody was monitoring my drinking. And so when I had the chance to sneak off and drink, I would drink more than I should. Or I found that I never knew if I had one drink or four drinks how it was going to affect me. Sometimes I could have many, many drinks and not feel drunk. And sometimes I could have one drink and feel very drunk. So I have since learned that that means that my body wasn't metabolizing alcohol very well, but I didn't know it then. So I was trying to control, quote unquote, my drinking and only had a couple by my definition. And my husband came home and found me passed out on the floor and shipped me off to an inpatient rehab, which was actually a detox where they take people um, who have been, who need to have a medical professional supervising any withdrawals they may be having from alcohol. And I actually stayed at a detox facility for 10 days. I that I was trying really hard when I was at that program. I was taking a lot of notes and sitting in the front row and, you know, sort of kissing up to all the counselors and thought that I was going to, you know, graduate with an A and, and detox or something. But when I got out of that program, my husband picked me up and he said, Are, is everything good? Are you all set now? And I said, yep, I'm fine. I have numbers to call and I've got literature to read and I'm, you know, I'm all set. So you can go back to work. And he went back to work and I went to the liquor store because I wanted to prove to the world that I could control my drinking once and for all. And uh, that experiment failed miserably. He returned home six hours later and found me passed out on the floor with bottles everywhere. And so he turned right around and shipped me right back to the same facility and in disgust and uh, kind of drove off and left me on the doorstep. And I, at that time, I didn't care really what happened to me because I thought that I was really a liability to my whole family. It would be better off if I just disappeared. So I slunk back into the same facility, and they said, you're lucky because a bed has opened up in our 30-day program. I didn't think I was lucky at all, but I really had nowhere else to go. My husband had said, you know, good luck with your life. We're not going to let you take us down with you. And so I went begrudgingly off to the 30-day program, which ended up saving my life. I was there about 15 days or so before I got to realize that I was really the problem, that my drinking was the root of all my troubles. And when I got out of that program, I was good and scared. I wasn't cocky at all. I realized that left to my own resources that I would drink. So I did what they told me to, and I went to recovery meetings, and I got involved in the recovery community, and that was really the beginning of, of my real sobriety. And, you know, I stayed there long enough that to want it for myself, not just to get people off my back. And uh, so I, I really have dabbled in almost every different kind of rehab that there is. We thought it might be helpful to provide brief definitions of the terms that we'll be using or that you might be hearing tonight. And there are essentially four basic ways that people can approach rehab or detox or getting sober with assistance. And the first one is a detox center. And it's typically a shorter stay, maybe three to seven days. As far as I know, it's always inpatient and it has medical supervision that provides medication to assist in any withdrawal symptoms that you may be having. Typically, it's a facility that you can't leave just because of their own liability and keeping you on medication and supervising your withdrawal. And uh, oftentimes you may hear it referred to as a quote-unquote spin dry, 
which is a sort of tongue-in-cheek term that people use when they say that they're going to go to a detox for a few days to get off alcohol or off drugs, but they're not really, they don't really intend to get sober. They just intend to get dry so that they can try to control their, their alcohol or drug intake. And uh, so they use it as a place to kind of safely come down from alcohol or drugs, but not necessarily with a focus on getting sober. The detox that I went to actually did give a lot of recovery. We, we had recovery meetings. We had speakers come in, and they did try to introduce you to the program as much as they could. But detoxes are really typically more medically focused than they are recovery focused. The second kind is an outpatient program. I mentioned that I did an outpatient program for about 10 days, and this is sometimes done as an alternative to an inpatient stay. A person, I, I believe in almost every case, must be sober to attend because there isn't any medically supervised detox. And there's usually testing that ensures sobriety. When I went to an outpatient program, I had to take a urine test every morning. I think it usually lasts at least 10 days or two weeks, and it's during the day, usually all day, like 8 to 3 or 8 to 4. And um, an outpatient program is oftentimes also used as an aftercare program. If After you've gone for a longer inpatient stay, oftentimes you could be referred to an outpatient program to continue your recovery as you integrate into your, quote-unquote, regular life. When, when I, we think of inpatient stays, that's the third kind of rehab, we usually think of a longer stay up to about 30 days or, or more sometimes, but usually in terms of, at least in our area, we're, we're in New England and Massachusetts specifically, it's usually 30 days. It's oftentimes voluntary. You're not necessarily locked into the facility. You are there as a, you know, between insurance and your own pocket, you're, you're a paying client. And usually you must be sober to get into an extended program because it's not a medical facility or there usually isn't um, a detox in, on site for a longer inpatient stay. But many inpatient programs will have a detox facility that's a, maybe off-site or it's a different part of the building. So you may detox and they may offer an inpatient stay for longer like they did for me after you've, you've successfully and safely detoxified from alcohol or drugs. And there is a heavy emphasis on recovery at these longer-term facilities. It's really about taking a time out from your life, focusing on self-care, focusing on recovery, learning more about recovery. And um, as I mentioned before, for me, it was really, it was what I needed to be able to successfully get, to be able to successfully get sober. I had to step away from my life completely, even though my kids were five and three at the time. It was very hard to do. But without taking that time to focus on myself, I'm not sure I could have been successful. The last thing that we wanted to mention was that if you can't get into an inpatient detox or rehab or you're not sure if you need one, there is always the possibility of going to a doctor uh, or a medical professional. They are bound by confidentiality, and you can have a medically supervised detox that way, or you could always go to an ER and receive care there. They can't turn you away, and sometimes that's a, a good entry point to get into or be referred into another detox program, because as we'll talk about later in the show, they can actually be very difficult to get into. And lastly, there's all, there's all kinds of court-ordered programs or detoxes or alcohol education courses, but typically these are not voluntary, so we're not going to go um, into those in great detail. But Amanda has some experience with that. She'll be talking about it in a minute, and she's always here to answer questions, or we can talk a little bit about that if somebody has any questions or comments, if they call in. Lastly, we thought it would be helpful to talk about why it's maybe important to consider a detox or rehab or a supervised detox. And the main point really is because withdrawal from alcohol is one of the only kinds of withdrawal that can actually be fatal. I do know that with, if, you're, sorry, if you're withdrawing from benzos, that can also cause seizures, but the danger really lies in 
withdrawal from alcohol where you can have um, a spike in blood pressure that can cause a stroke or a seizure. And typically, this spike in blood pressure can be asymptomatic. So alcohol withdrawal is highly dangerous. It's not something that a lot of people know about, how dangerous it can be, and that the danger does not end after the first day without alcohol. That Actually, the most dangerous period in alcohol withdrawal is on the second and third days. It also doesn't matter how much or how often you drink. Non-daily or binge drinkers are also in danger from alcohol withdrawal. And um, these are all things that we've learned over the course of the <laughs> the rehab research that I involuntarily did over my drinking career. But it is something to be taken very seriously. And common symptoms of withdrawal, there's several, and it's important to note that any one of these symptoms can be can be can signal that you have a physical addiction to alcohol and may need a supervised withdrawal. You don't need to have all of these. Even just one can be indicative of um, potential danger. And they include sweating, shaking, like tremors in your hands or feet, a rapid heartbeat, panic attacks, thoughts of impending doom or dread, anxiety, depression, insomnia, twitching muscles, auditory hallucinations like ear ringing, visual hallucinations, those are typically late stage withdrawal symptoms, the hallucinations, but they definitely can happen at any time. And if you have not had any of these symptoms, it does not mean you do not need supervised detox or rehab. There is no hard and fast rule. Addiction does follow a fairly predictable progression curve, but people travel along this curve at different rates. And there's actually charts that you can find if you Google addiction progression curve. There's a chart that shows how these symptoms progress, and it actually even itemizes it by the different kinds of drugs and alcohol, and it shows how dangerous the alcohol withdrawal can be. And as you mentioned, you know, it's, it, I hesitate to even talk about some of the symptoms because it's very easy to listen to that list, and you may be thinking, oh, I haven't had any of those symptoms. I guess I don't need to be supervised, but you really can't tell. You really can't tell if you're going to have trouble clear until you're in it. So as we'll talk about in the next section, it's always it's important to be able to approach stopping drinking with the support of a family member or a close friend or somebody who can, who can do this with you. Do you ever wish for a little bit of recovery inspiration on the go? Tiny Bubbles is a new podcast that brings you the best bits of the Bubble Hour podcast in quick little episodes, just 15 minutes long but packed with wisdom, insight, and encouragement to live your life wholeheartedly and alcohol-free. Look for Tiny Bubbles wherever you get podcasts and subscribe today. Tiny Bubbles. Little bits of recovery goodness brought to you by the Bubble Hour. Sometimes all you need is a little pep talk so you can get back to living that beautiful life you're building. Now we'll talk about if you've made the decision that you would like to go to rehab or detox or stop drinking and talk a little bit about some of the steps you can take. But as part of that, we're going to turn it over to Amanda and she could tell her Carl story and then get into a little bit about what it's like to try to get into a rehab or a detox. Go ahead, Amanda. Okay. All right. Uh, well, thank you, Ellie, and thank you so much for asking me to co-host. It's really a, a privilege to be on here. With my experience, because I was arrested for drunk driving, I actually attended four types of rehab facilities. The first two were voluntary. I actually had a level of desperation that I checked myself in before the courts could get to me. 
And so I checked myself into a detox where I stayed for six days. And they actually suggested that I stay for an inpatient program for 30 days after, but I was really anxious about getting back to work. So I opted for the intensive outpatient program, which is what one of the other ones you talked about. Fortunately, the daily recovery, the, the daily recovery meetings and that outpatient worked for me, but in hindsight, I really wish I had done the 30-day inpatient program. And like I said, I had two other court-ordered programs because of my arrest. One was a two-week inpatient program, and the other one was a weekly group counseling session that I attended for a year. And so that's just a little bit of my history. But my, my decision to get sober came after an intervention. And like I said, I was pretty desperate when, that, when my friends and family came in and piled into my living room and said, you need to get help. And I actually agreed to get the help very quickly. I'm told it was the easiest intervention ever. Fortunately, my best friend was there, and she had gotten sober three years before me. And she offered to come over the next morning and help me get into treatment, and I am so grateful for that because it's not as easy as you would think it would be. She came to my house early the next morning, and the first thing we did is we called the mental health number on the back of my insurance card. And I can't remember if they gave me a list of facilities or not, but we we kind of already had a list in our head from places that she knew. But I think they will give them to you if you ask for them. So after calling the insurance company, we sat down to make the phone calls. And I I did have a place in mind that I really wanted to go. And my last drink had actually, excuse me, been the day before. And I had been arrested on a Sunday, and Monday I went to court. And so I hadn't drank that day, but when I got back from court, I was shaking so badly that I couldn't even sleep. So I chugged a beer, warm beer in the garage. And, you know, that's where alcohol took me. But that was my last beer and my last drink, hopefully. So I basically detoxed myself that day before my intervention, which is now that I know what I know is very scary to me. But so when we did, so when we called to get into, when I was looking for the place to get into, my friend suggested that I say I had had a drink that morning because they oftentimes, they don't want to take you if you haven't been drinking, if you don't have alcohol in your system. And um, fortunately, I did. And we called probably six or eight places, and I was really surprised at the response that I got. Each place told me that they didn't have a bed available, but they, they, you know, they were very nice. They took down my information. They were very helpful. They asked me when my last drink was, if I was experiencing any, experiencing any types of symptoms. They promised that they would give me a call back, and they said if I needed help in the meantime to go to an emergency room but they didn't have a bed for me. And one, there was actually one facility that I called that they required you to, to, to enter into their facility. You had to go to an emergency, first, emergency room first to get cleared. And another place I called said they would call me back, but it would probably be three to four days to get a bed. So here I was, <laughs> desperate to get some help and finally agreeing to get some help after years and years of drinking. And I couldn't get in. And, and I was just, I was devastated. I was crying. I was begging. I was just pleading with them just to please let me in. And there, there was one 
place in particular that I really wanted to go. And so I called them several times throughout the day. I called her about her because it was the same woman answering. But I called her every hour or two hours and said, did a bed open up yet? Did a bed open up yet? And I was, fortunately, I was sitting there with my best friend, and that's actually something that I recommend is having someone with you when you make the phone calls because I was kind of at my wit's end. I mean, that's the type of thing in the past that would have caused me to drink. Oh, I can't get in. I'm going to go drink. But I, she helped me keep going, and around 2 o'clock that afternoon, I actually got a call back from that facility that I really wanted to go to And the woman said, wow, someone must be looking out for you today. We just had a bed open up. Come down now. And I was, I was amazed. So we, I hung up the phone with her and I just, I cried. And then I was just shocked and stunned. And then I just, I just, we just got into action and packed my things and drove down there. And I had, I actually had to stop by the courthouse to see my probation officer before I went in just to make sure I didn't have to, but I I thought to, just to make sure that I wasn't going to get in trouble for getting help. And they said, no, no, just go, (laughs) which was kind of a a relief too. So we we got down there and my friend dropped me off and she actually gave me her coin and put it in my hand and said, I love you. I know you can do this. And it was amazing. The check-in nurse was surprised. When you get in there, you have to check in, give some basic information, basically your license and an insurance card. And then they take you into a room and they do your vials and just check you out medically. And then they ask you a little bit of history of your drinking, when your last drink was. And they still said that morning, but then he gave me a breathalyzer and I tested zero. So he kind of smirked at me, but I think he knew I was just really looking to get some help, so he didn't throw me back out the door, which I don't think they would at that point. It's really about getting you a bed. And he asked me about my drinking history, and I think that was the first time I ever was honest with a medical professional about my drinking history. And that's really important because if you're at the point where you're seeking this type of help, it's time to get honest and because they need to know what they're dealing with. And and then he gave me some medication, as Ellie was talking about, and I was really confused by this because I tested zero on my breathalyzer, and I didn't know anything about that you you can have a heart attack or, or well, a stroke or that your blood pressure spikes when you, you, you're going through withdrawals. And he explained that to me and said they have to make sure my blood pressure is down and that I don't have a seizure. And he said it, it's two or three days before... Your, the alcohol is out of your system and you're past that risk factor. That, that was very surprising to me too. And so I think most places you do stay a minimum of three days for that, for that reason. So from there, they brought me to my room and it was, I would, it was actually nicer than I thought it would be. It was just two beds in a room. I had a roommate, but they weren't there at the time. There was a bathroom that was shared with another room, so four people sharing one bathroom. And the room was sparse, but it was clean and it was comfortable enough for me. I was just there to get better. And so I dropped my stuff on. I dropped my stuff off in my room, and then I had to go right down to a meeting that they were having. They had a meeting around 7 o'clock every evening to wrap up the day and before they had a recovery group come in. And so I sat down in that meeting. At that point, I was still in shock at what I was even doing. And 
I think out of nervousness, I just turned to the guy next to me and I said, hi, my name is Amanda. And he shook my hand and he said, hi, I'm Destiny. And um, I just remember chuckling to myself because I was like, oh boy, you sure are. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, just it, it just really, for me, it was just this, in hindsight, it was a little sign for me. So the, the, then the next morning, we had our first group meeting to start. And as I was sitting there waiting for the meeting to begin and all the, re- all the other residents to come in, I was just crying. And it kind of hit me that I was sitting in a detox facility and I was done with drinking forever. And it was just really overwhelming to me. And one of the, the counselors there came up to me and said, gave me a hug and said, it's okay, honey, you're going to be okay. And she was great to me the whole time that I was there. The meeting started, and um, we went around and introduced ourselves, and it was funny. When it came to me, some people had been there, obviously, before me, and so they're going around the room saying my name is such and such, and I'm an alcoholic. And so I just it was trying to be a good student, like Ellie was talking about, and I said, hi, my name's Amanda, and I'm an alcoholic. And it was probably the most amazing feeling that I've ever had in my life. I felt this physical, I just this physical presence lift off of me, this weight, this enormous weight that I had on my shoulders, and it was the most liberating thing that I think I've ever done or said. And and it was just a, such a huge relief to say those words out loud. And something about that just and everything else that led up to that, I just dove into that program. Like Ellie said, there's a lot of people that were there. They were just detoxing. They were kind of trying to please someone else. And they weren't taking it seriously. There were people there that were having like what I called rehab romance. And I was like, you guys are crazy. There were, you know, young, there were young people that were getting in bickering fights with each other. There was, there was all kinds of nonsense that goes on. And that's going to be anywhere that you go, I think, some of that stuff. But then there were also people there just like me that just wanted to get help and just wanted to get better. And I just, I ignored all the nonsense that was going on around me, and I dove into the program, and I took every last ounce of information that I could get from that program, and I participated in every group. And it was something about going there, and maybe because it was, I don't know, it was the first time I ever tried getting sober, but I just dove in. And I'll never forget... um, they, like I said, they had recovery meetings come in every night. Groups come in and speak to us about their sobriety and their experience, strength, and hope. And my friend's group actually went there on a regular basis, and they came to that detox while I was in there. And so she came in and spoke. And that just, it, it absolutely blew me away. Well, you know, one thing, she was part of her story is my story because we started off drinking together. And just to me, that was just a sign like, you need to stick with this because that was just an amazing gift to me. It was just really committed me to what I was doing. And when I got out of the detox, they gave me a choice of doing the 30-day inpatient or doing an outpatient program. And at that point, I really, I didn't really understand all that I was going to have to deal with in my life or just the incredible change that I was going through, I kind of thought, you know, I'm quitting drinking and that's it. That's all I really have to do. I thought it was that simple, and little did I know that there's so much more to it than that. 
And so I opted to do an outpatient program. And like I said, I, I really wish I had done the inpatient, but the outpatient did it for me because I also jumped right into recovery meetings the minute I get out, got out, and I went to them every single day. And this was all without a license, too. I just have to throw that in there. So I was committed. I did it. I worked really hard, and I've been sober ever since. But, you know, it is, it is challenging, and that's one of the things that we wanted to talk about. So just to sum up some of some key things to remember when you're trying to get, get, get some help is even once you've decided to get into a detox or rehab, it can be very difficult to get in. And the guidelines may differ from state to state and certainly from country to country. And you'll, most likely you're going to need to call multiple places to find a bed, and you're going to have to keep calling and calling and letting them know that you're, you mean business. And we definitely recommend making that phone call with a friend or family member so that they can be there to keep you going so you don't give up. Because, I mean, I can tell you, I, there was part of me that wanted to give up, but part of me was just, you know, thank God I was so desperate I didn't give up. And the intake process, you're going to have to answer questions honestly for the first time probably ever in your life. And it's so important that you're honest about that. Take Good Care is a new collection of recovery readings inspired by the Bubble Hour. If you love the encouragement and support you find here on this podcast, then this new book is for you. Visit thebubblehour.com for more information or check the show notes for a link to purchase. You'll find Take Good Care on Amazon Worldwide. Take Good Care, recovery reading inspired by the Bubble Hour, the perfect gift for yourself and friends. Others find the message of recovery we champion on the Bubble Hour. Plus, get access to the entire backlist ad-free by joining us on Patreon. Patron support helps with the ongoing expense of making free versions of the show available, as well as the cost to make new content like our spin-off podcast, Tiny Bubbles. Become a Bubble Hour patron today at patreon.com slash thebubblehour and help us help others through stories of strength and hope. There's a piece of this about paying for detoxes or rehabs, and that really is an individual experience. But there's, if you have insurance, there's almost always a mental health or substance abuse hotline on the back of your insurance card that you can call and get some information about what they require in terms of steps you need to take to get help. But again, the emergency room is always an alternative or a trip to your doctor because they can assist you in that process. You know, there's, there's a variety of different ways that you can end up in a rehab or a detox facility. Some of them are voluntary. Sometimes you're put there. Sometimes you're sent there by a doctor. But the advice that we're giving, I think, or the sort of insight that we're giving is valuable whether or not you go kicking and screaming, like I did a couple of times, or if you're there because you really want the help. So it's really important just to think about rehab in general with a really open mind and an and open heart to kind of get as much as you can from the stories that we're going to hear. All right, we'll move on to our next guest. We have uh, Misty. My name is Misty, and I am a mom. I have a four-year-old son, and I live in Oregon, and I just love the bubble hour. That Lisa lady, she is so funny. She is funny. <laughs> she has the background being very quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I see her back there. 
Well, my rehab story is, is a little bit different. I, I, didn't, I didn't choose to go to rehab. I didn't even know I was going to go there. I, I blacked in there. I was having a, I was finally at the end of my professional drinking career. I was at the, at the end of it there and was getting to the part where I was hating it so much that I wanted to hurt myself and just end it all, figure that everybody, I, I tried to quit so many times that, and unsuccessfully, that I figured everybody would be better off without me. So I was in a blackout state and the people I was with were just tired of dealing with my crap. So they loaded me up and took me to the hospital and took me to the emergency room. And when I woke up in the morning, I was in a nice, comfortable bed, and I had my own TV and breakfast and stuff, and I said, well, this is neat. You know, I didn't feel like eating or anything, and I was really ill, but you no, know, my parents weren't there or anything. I live with my mom, because this is what happens when you drink a lot with your parents. <laughs> <laughs> um, but somebody came in, and they gave me a shot in my butt of a whole bunch of vitamins and stuff, and and told me that I was in the emergency room, and do I remember what had happened and where I was, and... I didn't remember anything, and they told me that I'm going to be there for a couple of days. And then my mom called me and talked to her on the phone, and she was hoping that I wasn't upset that they had taken me there. And I was actually kind of relieved, and they said that I'm going to be there for a while. And I was, I was really happy because I was like, it was kind of like a little vacation. But then when it kind of sunk in after a while, it was, it was scary to think that I was going to be away from everything that I knew including alcohol and everything else, you know, it's, it's kind of scary to be away from everything. But then it, it, was, it was the best thing that could have happened. And in all of my efforts to quit drinking, being in a, in a facility where there are people taking care of you all the time was, was, the, was the best way. Because I've been sober for 116 days, I think, and before then I couldn't even get 30 days together. So the being away, yeah, like everyone else has said too, just being away from the family and the husband and work and all the other pressures and such that you have being yeah. in a... How long, how long were you that you... They, was it sort of a detox and a combination with the rehab? How, how many days were you there? Well, what happened was I was in the ER for... Because they didn't have a bed upstairs in the psych ward, which is where I ended up going. And I, I was there for a total of 14 days, but I spent four, the first four days in the ER before they were able to get me a room upstairs. And then when they got me first in the metal facility, it was in the, over on the really, really serious side. So that was, it was really, it was really eye-opening to be able to see how a lot of people live with, with mental illness. So... It made me see how, how my addiction is also a disease and, and just the different kinds of male illnesses that people just have. And wow, it was, there was, well, I can't really go into detail, but I met a lot of really, really cool people there. It was really yeah, neat. Yeah. And there was a lot of fun stuff to do. I put puzzles together. We had lots of different fun meetings. We got to do artwork. We couldn't use real pens. We had these little funny little bendy pens. <laughs> Art was like my favorite class. But they encourage you to get out. The first couple of days, you are detoxing, you know, so it's, it's scary. And I didn't, my meds weren't working right. And they tried to switch my meds. And I had doctor appointments. And, oh, man, it was, I just wanted to stay in bed. I didn't want to go anywhere. But they really encourage you to. And no other patients can come into your room. I didn't get to have a, 
a buddy in my room. Everyone had their own private room. And my room was really nice. And you can't use, like, a razor or anything. So unless, unless you want to be supervised, but it's like... You know, not very many people are comfortable with asking a nurse to come in and watch you shave your legs. <laughs> so everybody comes out of there pretty hairy, so that's pretty cool. But And you can brush your teeth, so, and you can have a hairbrush, but there's not, like, I couldn't have, like, your pants. You can't have drawstrings, everything. You have to be really yeah. careful. Shoelaces. They took my shoelaces, too. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, no shoelaces. And nobody that visits you can have anything. They have to be in a special room, and it has to be supervised. And... So I've been in jail before a couple of times. It's another cool perk of being an alcoholic. And I, I, really, felt like I, was, I really felt like I was in jail a lot of the time. Well, the first few days that I was there, I don't know if I was in some sort of alcoholic psychosis or, or what. But every time, and when they discharge you from the, from the emergency room to go upstairs, too, they had uh, people in uniforms bring you up there. I don't know if they're police officers or not. I was still kind of out of it, but that was frightening too. I would have anxiety attacks as part of my detox and I would, they would give you medication anytime you asked for it, anytime you ask. That's the other really great thing. If you're feeling anything at all, if your heart rate starts going, you just go, there's a, they have a courtesy window for a nurse. You just go and you knock on it and you say, I'm having an anxiety attack and they'll hand you meds. They have to, you have to sign a little thing, but it's, they give you this stuff called Ativan, I think, and um, it'll bring you right down really quick. And that's really nice that they're just willing to help you out with anything right there. Because she will make you crazy in there. shouldn't see that. You know, it's, a, it's actually a really good point, Misty, because I, one of the things that I remembered when I would try to stop on my own was that what would usually bring me back was crippling anxiety or, like, those feelings come rushing in. Everything is so amplified. And early surprise, yeah. really shame, it's like times a thousand, or anxiety, it's making a panic attack. I mean, it was just the, the emotional and physical symptoms of stopping, even tapering. At the end, for me, I would try to taper off, and even that brought on really, really, really bad anxiety and sort of racing thoughts and inability to sleep. And so that almost sabotaged my chances of getting sober. It did sabotage my chances of getting sober because I was so emotionally and physically uncomfortable. And so being in part of the detox, to get through that hump of the first three to five days with medical supervision and with medication, I mean, it really, really helped me get through the hardest part of it. I never could do it on my own. And where I went in particular, I don't know if my experience is different from everyone else's. Hopefully everyone else's was as good as mine, but I felt so well cared for. Everybody cared so much about me while I was there, constantly, how are you? Not just the, the, the people that worked there, but also the other patients, too. I really felt like everybody cared. Well, except a couple of the patients, but, you know, they're, we're all mental, so you can't yeah. expect everybody to like you. But then even afterwards, my insurance company, they kept calling me and calling me, and everyone was following up, my doctor. She, I was so upset because, oh, they had introduced me to a new type of medication to help with cravings. And it helped with my cravings so much. I couldn't, and it's for, it's a seizure medication. And I loved it so much, but my insurance company wouldn't, wouldn't pay for it. So I was so upset at the doctor's office when she told me that. Mind you, my new meds weren't working yet. So I like totally broke down and cried at the doctor's office. And she said, well, let's see how much it costs out of pocket. And it turns out it's less than $15 a month for this anti-craving medication that I take. And it, 
Like, it works for everything. I don't crave chocolate. I don't crave anything. <laughs> so it's, it's really cool. And um, Is that the one that and I found that with this that medication? I can't remember what it's called. I took an anti-craving medication, too, and it really helped um, me out. This is called Topamax. Okay. This the only thing is, is, is that it makes you exactly what I'm doing right now. Spacey. It makes you spacey. <laughs> so that's why I'm really having a hard time having this conversation. I was thinking, crap, because I wasn't going to take it today, so I'd be a little more on point for the show. But but whenever I space out, I just say, oh, everything's better in Topamax because, yeah, and I forget stuff a lot. But that's the only thing is that it makes you spacey. It's the kind of thing that they can teach you about, too. I can't remember what the medication I took was called, but it really it definitely helped. I took it for six months after for headache. <laughs> but you can't remember what it is. But no, I can't remember, so maybe there is something to the whole memory thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never going to have to remember those for six months anyway. <laughs> yeah. So I had a really great experience. The follow-up care was fantastic. And this is the only time in my life that I've actually been able to say to myself, I'm, I'm actually doing it this time. When before I was doing it for somebody else or saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this time I actually can feel it in my heart and I know that I'm done drinking. And I know that I'm, if I drink again, I'm going to make a permanent decision on a temporary feeling. Yeah, you know, a, I've, and I'm not. I've never heard that said before. Great. I love it. Hey, yeah, Missy, so. can, can you guys hear me? Yeah, hi, Lisa. I just wondered yeah. if you might briefly say how much your life has changed for the better since becoming this sober, wonderful person that you're meant to be. It, it's getting better and better, and it, I just see this great big huge cloud, and I want to pick all the right words out of how much better it's getting because there's like, I've found, I hate to say higher power because it's such a cliche word, and I don't want to say, you know, flying spaghetti monster because that just sounds too funny. But I've, <laughs> I've found so many better things in, in life, and it's like everywhere I look, everything I do, it's like things are just being handed to me. Now I need an apartment. I need a car. I'm going to throw that out there. But um, God and like, <laughs> like wonderful job opportunities. I've gotten wonderful hobbies. Just opportunities to do things. I just, things that I've, that I've always wanted to have, I've seen advertised really, really cheap on Craigslist. And it's like, how are these things just happening? Just really random things are just mm-hmm. showing up everywhere. And I don't think it's a coincidence. It's just, right. well, I'm very proud everything's of going my way. And that wouldn't happen if I was drunk. It's only right. because I'm sober. It's falling on me. Well, I'm very happy for you. All right, we're going to move on to last guest who's been very patient, Lisa. H, are you there? I am. Hi, I was sitting here praying nobody could hear me because I was like doing laundry, eating soup. (laughs) I was just like, I'll need that nobody, like the rest of the people can't hear me. Normally, I really like to fly off the cuff when I'm sharing stuff. And tonight, I don't know what it is. At the last minute, I got nervous and started jotting down all these notes. I ended up going to treatment after going to, well, I think what happened was I'd been drinking heavily for years by the time that I made that decision, but I think that what really kind of threw me over the edge at that particular time was that my daughter was leaving for college, and I had raised her mostly as a single mother most of her life. She was the one constant in my life during my crazy disease, and despite all the consequences of my disease, we were incredibly close. Although she was drifting away, she wanted to go away to school. She wanted to get away. She was tired of the, just, you know, the insanity that comes from having an alcoholic mother. And uh, so I decided to go see a therapist who I had no idea would have any, you know, expertise in addiction. I was hoping not. I didn't mention the drinking. I just said I'm very upset and depressed and distraught. 
my daughter's leaving for college and I'm just, I'm having a meltdown. This is just not good. And <clears throat> she said, uh, well, do you drink? And I thought, well, that's random. And I said, well, yeah, you know, because I try to be honest but lie at the same time. It's the sickest thing. You know what I mean? Like, it's that half-truth. Like, sure, I drink, and they're like, well, how much? And I I just got real honest for some reason. I don't know why. It was like the jig was up. And I said, well, I drink about a bottle of wine every night. And she said, okay. And she just said, so you're an alcoholic, and you're killing yourself slowly. And, you know, a lot of people would have said, well, screw you, and gotten up and left, and what have you. And I just, I don't know what it was, but I was ready to surrender at that moment for someone to know what was really happening was such a relief. We chatted, and by the end of the week, I had decided I was going into treatment, and I had no idea. It was so hard to get into treatment. I got in pretty easily. Now, this is back in 2003, so I'm sure things have changed. When I was talking to the admissions woman, she asked me, you know, how much I drank and so on and so forth. Without patient, oh, I forgot to even mention, I'm 40. I have three children, one who's grown and flown the nest, and the other, I've got two young boys, and I'm married to a great guy for 10 years. Anyway, so long story short, I got into to the treatment center inpatient because I, I just told them I, I don't trust myself being able to come and go and not drink. I'm just, that's where I was. I drank every day. I drank <clears throat> for no reason. And, and it was killing me. It was, and I just, I just knew that I could not cut it. My insurance approved 28 days. And I went in, <clears throat> and I remember the first night I was in there, it was this feeling of, this is what it's come to. It was this very dramatic meltdown. You know, I went and I sat outside and I lit a cigarette on this bench and I just collapsed. You know, I started crying and, and just sobbing by myself. And this woman came over. She was another patient. She put her arms around me. She didn't say anything, actually. She just held me. It was so um, profound for me because that was the first connection that I had with another alcoholic in years and years and years you know, who was trying to do the same thing that I was trying to do, who had been where I had been. And, you know, I didn't know her story. I just knew that she understood why I felt like I was just at the end of the road. Even though I was sober when I went in, they put me in detox for a couple of days um, just to monitor things because I, I actually didn't do too well. Even though I came in sober, I, you know, that evening and the next day I was very shaky. I was very you know, crazy, and so they had nurses constantly, you know, taking my vitals and checking my hands for tremors, and the anxiety was just through the roof. I mean, I was crazy. I was had so much going on in my mind. How am I never going to drink again? And all this, what am I doing? Oh, my God, people are going to know. And, I mean, it was just all this this mess. I left there feeling really confident that I was going to do this deal and follow all the instructions. And that's why I kind of bristle sometimes when people say treatment doesn't work. It would have worked if I had worked it. It was a wonderful treatment program. Everybody on the staff, for the most part, were, were in recovery, and they could relate. You know, I had a nurse that would be up any hour of the night if I got up, and I couldn't sleep, and I could just sit and cry. She was peaceful and calm, and I just kept telling her, that's what I want. I just want to be like you. I want to feel like you're feeling. Right. I relapsed after 78 days, and it was completely secret. And after a few more days, I told my husband one night as we went on on our first date, he, he didn't know what to expect. When I struggled in sobriety, he would say, if you drank, I would understand. Yeah. And I would say, you know, I, you can't say that stuff to me. I, I love treatment. Like every step of the way, there was someone saying, this is okay. This is normal. You're, you're okay. You're in the right place. 
you know, everybody I dealt with, my counselor was, was sober. She was amazing. And the, the, the whole aftercare thing was so key. If I had followed all that and just kept doing what I did, I would have stayed sober probably. In the process, I went through some things for the next four years after I convinced my husband that I had been horribly misdiagnosed at the hospital, you know, that we had all overreacted. Okay, I had overreacted, and I wasn't an alcoholic. I was just going through a rough time. My daughter had just left home for college. I was losing my mind. You know, that everything would be okay, and I would just drink responsibly. And he said, well, okay. And everything fell back into place, and everybody knew what their roles in the family were. My daughter was not happy. She didn't believe a word I said. You know, she just was like, great, she's drinking again. And she continued to pull away. And so it was four more dark years of hiding my drinking. I, I went back to that treatment center, and I went to a meeting, and I was a wreck. And those people picked me up in pieces and helped me slowly just, you know, put myself back together. I have never been so accepted and so loved and, um, and so cared for. You know, if I, don't, if I can manage not to drink until February 20th, I'll, I'll have five years sober. And that's, for me, that is a miracle for someone who cannot get through 24 hours without a drink in the beginning. It is every single piece of your journey is a piece of your journey. And even though the rehab didn't take immediately after your 78 days or what have you, it doesn't actually end up mattering. What matters is that you come back when you're ready and you, you know, you had a, you had a resource and the things that you learned were absorbed into your, metabolized them somehow, even if you didn't realize it. And instead of thinking, well, I failed and I'm a hopeless cause, it's, it's never too late to try again. It's never too late to put your hand up and get help. And some, you know, I had to get beat up several times before I finally realized that I didn't have to live this way. Sure. Thanks for letting me come on. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Lisa, for just what you're saying that and some of my own experiences that when we stop drinking the, and we, we put away the booze, we can see the magic that that's there all around us. And it's, it's really an amazing feeling. Another benefit of a rehab facility and a detox facility oftentimes is that they have, they can directly direct you towards resources for yourself, but also for your loved ones. When I was at my month-long stay, they actually had weekly counseling that was offered to my husband and me, and that was very helpful. And they also had family visits once a week. Nobody from my family would come for the first week or maybe two, but then eventually it was very helpful to have them come and understand more about alcoholism. So I wanted to mention that as, as part of our checklist as well. One thing that struck me, too, is the transition in when you enter a detox even, but especially a rehab facility, there's a lot of constant attention, and it's so important that you have a transition plan when you get out so that you can try to maintain your sobriety, because it is, it, you go from being cared for and loved for by, like Lisa was just saying, with other patients in there. And continuing that type of self-care when you get out is so important to me, or it was for me, and because it's, it's really it's, it's startling, and it's such a gift going into a, a treatment facility. I know it's really terrifying to people, but I think every single person that we had on the show tonight expressed that they wouldn't trade it for anything and that they benefited from it. So my, to the people out there that are listening that are wondering if it's something that they should do, go for it. That's, you know, that's, that's all I have to say. About that's a really, it's an excellent point because I had the same kind of, like a bucket of cold water in the face getting back, especially after a longer term stay, such a protected environment. I never thought I would find myself sort of curled up in a ball on the floor wishing I could go back to rehab, but I did. <laughs> <That's nice. laughs> 
it, it was kind of nice having somebody ask you every half an hour, how are you feeling? Let's talk. You know, it was, it was, it, it ended up being something that was a, one of the highlights of my life, really, because I, I, you know, once I kind of surrendered to the process and gave into it, it was so much easier. And, and it was sort of hard to reintegrate back into my life and the resources that they gave me were really the key to doing that. So thank you for mentioning that. So Lisa and Amanda, thank you so much for your thank time you tonight. As always. Thank you. And thanks, thanks everyone for listening to the whole hour. Good night, lady. Bye-bye. Have a good, good night. night. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from the power weakness had on me. Just want to be free from the power.